What's up, everyone? Welcome to Yanksco Talking. Obviously, today we're going to be talking about the roster for the World Cup qualifiers when the U.S. takes on Mexico and Jamaica. And make sure to stick around to the end when we talk to Owen Diana, who is an expert on Liga MX and the Mexico national team, to preview this upcoming World Cup qualifying game. I am your host, Jake, here in London. I'm joined by Ryan in Germany and Tom in New Mexico. How are you guys? Tom, what's going on? Not much, just a busy part of the semester trying to make it through to the end, get to Thanksgiving break. That's only goal right now. How, go, how goes it, Jake? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, work has been incredibly busy, so I'm happy to be talking soccer with you guys. Ryan, you doing okay? Yeah, doing all right. Thanks for asking. Appreciate it. Uh, just weirdly had a Irish party or like festival that was at a pub down the street from my house last night. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but... Apparently, they always do a Irish festival in the in the middle of November. Uh, so I'd be perfectly okay <laughs> not seeing uh, Guinness or Jameson for for a little while, and then uh, just getting ready next week. I've got to go TDY for work down to Italy, and so should be should be a good couple of weeks. But I'll still be able to catch the USMNT games, most importantly. Nice. Maybe you can check out some of the Americans in Italy. Maybe Brian Reynolds or. Uh, Lucio Tessman. Hopefully, if I can get a chance up to maybe see Weston too, but nah, they'll all be gone. So oh, yeah, it'll true. be yeah, it'll be during the international window. So, and plus, I'll be busy with work the whole time I'm there. But you know, not not a bad situation to have to go to down to Vincenza for work and spend a little time eating some pizza and pasta. I'm I'm just a little jealous. So. That's okay. Yeah, if I come back talking okay, so with my hands next week, you'll know why. <laughs> we we have the emojis for it, so the technology is there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump right into it. We're going to talk about this roster. And as you guys probably have seen, if you're listening, you would have uh, seen some videos, talked about it already. But I want to know, I'm extremely excited to talk with Ryan and Tom about this because I think we're going to run the gambit of emotions and confidence in this roster. We're we're all kind of spanning across how we feel about this. It's 25 players that have really been left off that are surprises. There's a few that probably should have been brought in, but I think overall... For me, the good news is that if we pick our best 11 from this roster, they should probably get the job done in these games. But we don't know how Greg's going to line up the teams. We don't know probably one of the center backs that will pair with Miles Robinson. And there's always a chance that Paul Areola could start on the wing instead of someone like Brendan Aronson or Timothy Weah. So guys, let's just maybe start off very high level. Tom, from a 1 to 10 rating what would you rate this oh i'm not i i don't know so i'm probably gonna give a higher rating than either of you guys uh but That's i'm gonna I go ahead ask. <laughs> I, I think i'm about a seven i i i a lot of the players who are there i've expected to be there there are a couple surprises a couple players that i really would have changed but overall you know most of the core players who are healthy are available for selection and were selected and to me, that's enough to get the job done, but we'll, we'll see how it is. There's definitely some names that I would have changed, though. Yeah, we'll talk about that in Stars and Strikes. Ryan, how about you? On a 1 to 10 scale, what's this roster say? 
Uh, I'm going to give it a five. It's it's pretty disappointing for me. I agree with you. I think we've got a pretty strong 11 in there at least, but I think there's a huge lack of foresight by Greg again in this window. There's a couple of situations that we could run into after that Mexico game that could really put us in a bad spot. And so again, I just think Greg not looking further ahead and not realizing that if McKenney picks up a card or if Adams picks up a card, like we're in in bad shape. I mean, I think Yedlin's on a yellow as well. Not that I mean, I think I don't think he's as influential as the other two, but uh, there's there's a few situations that I see that we could be in. Even if we need a goal late in the game, we don't have a big number nine that we could put up top and kind of lump it to. So there's a few things just from a you know macro point of view that I see that I just I'm not a fan of at all. Okay, well let's start with the good things first and then we can maybe get into some of those things that just aren't rubbing you the right way uh ryan what are the top three stars and what i mean by this when we're talking about the roster is really just what are you happiest to see what what decisions that greg and the coaching staff made that you feel really good about what are those top three things for you uh so the top one even though it seems like it was kind of forced on him it doesn't seem like it was really greg's choice or his first choice but i'm pumped to see joe scally finally in the roster I think he's definitely earned it, but we kind of saw last minute with Barca kind of letting USM letting the US team know that Dest really isn't in shape and his back's bothering him and he's not going to be able to make it to this international window. It took that happening for Scally to be called in. And to me, that's just mind-boggling that we would have, you know, someone like Sam Vines or, or who's just kind of came back, or Reggie Cannon. Like Reggie Cannon's been out in the wilderness. And then he got subbed off after 17 minutes. And then the next game, he picked up a red card. But, you know, he's he's one of the automatic call. And so, again, keeping it positive. Definitely pumped to see Scally in there. Um, from the midfield, you know, obviously having Busio back in there, MMA in there, those are exciting things. But besides that, I think we could use a little, little pick-me-up from Luca De La Torre in there. But in the forward positions, definitely really excited to have Christian back, even though I think we'll talk about it maybe a little bit later on what we think his role can be in this camp. Uh, but just thrilled. He's such a, like an impactful person, and I think he really brings a different level to the locker room, so people will really be dialed in. Um, and then lastly, uh, I would say, I guess, Tim Weah. Like, they're guys all that I'd expect, but the two that really, like two stars for me, I would just say are going to be Christian and Scally. Okay, that's fair. Tom, how do you feel? I, I'm I'm excited to see Chris Richards get a chance again. I, I thought he played pretty well against uh, Costa Rica, but you know I'm glad to see that he's back in camp and will probably get minutes again in this camp. I'm also really pumped to see Scally. It's it's just going to be really cool to get a look at this young kid who's just been on fire in the Bundesliga of late. Um, beyond that. I, Christian Pulisic being back is always a huge, huge upside for us. I love watching him play. I'm glad that he's back on the roster. And then I'm really pumped about the FC Dallas kids getting a chance, getting Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe in camp. We'll see how they do. We'll see what roles they play. But I don't know. It, it's going to be really interesting to see that. And I'm excited to you know watch it play out. Yeah, we did talk about Jesus Ferreira in the last podcast, just concerning if he had the chance to make this roster and obviously he's, he's one of the forwards. So it will be interesting, like you said, Tom, to see what position he plays because Greg has said 
in the press conference right after the roster release that Ferreira is there to be a backup number nine. But if you watch him in MLS, he's pretty much a pure 10 for FC Dallas. So he does have two goals in two games playing for the U.S. We'll see how he does. I agree with both of you seeing Joe Scali and Christian Pulisic on this roster are happy days as a U.S. fan. <laughs> how about the strikes? Maybe, Ryan, we'll start with you. You had some grinds, uh, some gears to grind here. What were the strikes for you? Yeah, man, I feel like I could even go position by position. Uh, I'm, I'm probably it. in the minority on this one, but for me, I know Horvath hasn't been getting regular minutes, but as a third keeper, I, I don't see that as a big issue. I, for me, I would have Horvath in there. I think he brings a lot to the locker room and could be definitely good to be in there for training purposes just to help Stefan and Turner stay sharp. From the defenders, uh, I think the not having Brooks in there is a huge mistake. And I get it. You know, some of his games for the U.S. as of late haven't been his best. And I, I'm fine with bringing him in and not starting him. I think that's reasonable. But just to completely exclude him from the roster and to say it's due to form. <laughs> Meanwhile, some of these other guys that are still in getting called in, no questions asked, have been hot garbage for the U.S. But, you know, we got to keep a huge leader like Brooks home to me. It's just mind boggling. I was so glad to see him step up and the, the statement that he released just shows you what kind of leader he is. He just, you know, took it on the chin. I thought he was really smart to kind of backhandedly say like, Oh, but I did play midweek in the champions league and I was pretty good there. Uh, but overall, yeah, I was kind of disappointed not to see him in there. Kind of just the inclusion of five fullbacks is weird to me. Uh, I don't know if that'll be telling for any sort of formation. And then in the midfield, no Luca De La Torre for me is massive. I don't know what he has to do in order to get into this lineup. For me, he should definitely be in there over Sebastian Legette, no questions asked. Uh, and then forward, uh, I would have two of Conrad and Josh Sargent. Uh, I think Conrad, he just actually played this afternoon, came in in like the 62nd minute or so, uh, and he was lively. You know, he's a guy that he doesn't invert like a lot of other wingers on our team do. So maybe that's what Greg kind of has an issue with. He's definitely a winger that stays on the sideline and loves to dribble in at people. Um, and then, you know, again, I talked about it a little bit. I don't think we have, if we are down late in the game to either of our opponents during this window, we don't have a Daryl DK or a Jordan Peefock or even a Josh Sargent that we can just dump the ball long to them and let them just have a bar fight with somebody. Just put them in a phone booth and let them battle it out. Uh, so again, that's kind of some of the fourth, like foresight stuff that I thought Greg was missing. Uh, and I just really hope it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, we saw for the gold cup, similar roster issues where he brought in only two wide players and one of them was, uh, injured in the first game and the other was Jonathan Lewis. So it seems to be a, a trend at this point that Greg has some issues creating a roster for the games that are coming up. Uh, I want to just ask the question and throw it out there because in the press conference after the roster release, he was asked this question of if Pepe isn't able to go, who's your, who's your other number nine? And he talked about Jesus Ferreira. He said, Timothy Weah can play there. And he said, Christian Pulisic can even play a false nine if we need him to. So I guess for you guys, like, is that enough of an answer for you to feel comfortable about our forward situation? Nope. Nope. Not for me. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, so it just seems like 
Greg has one plan and that's been kind of, I guess, one of my beefs with him is he doesn't seem to adapt very well. Uh, if it doesn't go according to plan, then it's, it's just kind of panic mode and throw stuff at the wall and see what happens. So there are situations in here where if we do need to sub out eights or even a number six, I, I mean, Acosta, I think can get the job done, hopefully against Costa Rica or uh, against Jamaica even though I think that's going to be a harder game than some of us are giving it credit for. But I'm really scared to see if McKenney goes down with a yellow and has to sit the Jamaica game. I, we just can't see Leggett and Acosta in this midfield again. It can't happen. We've seen it enough to know it doesn't work. For our sanity, it can't happen. Yeah, for my <laughs> liver. Yeah. Tom, how about you? What are the strikes for this lineup? Strikes for me, I, I would echo Ryan's point about Sean Johnson. I I don't think he's even top five for me in MLS keepers I would have brought and definitely Horvath is over all MLS keepers for me, even though he's not playing, having him camp in camp. We know that he's really just a strong player coming off cold off the bench. So I would have loved to see him get the chance to train with the team and, you know, keep his place beyond that. For me, the two names in the defense that really strike me as odd are both Reggie Cannon and Mark, Mark McKenzie. The ghost of Reggie Cannon really should not be, on this roster right now. <laughs> I don't know why we have five fullbacks. I don't know why we need five fullbacks. I would much rather have a net, an extra center back on the roster rather than having a fifth fullback, especially given that there's only two matches in this window and we're not expecting to rotate the same way that we have in previous windows. So Reggie to me just hasn't done enough with his club at all over the last six months for him to warrant call-ups right now. And I'm not really sure why he's there. Mark McKenzie's sort of in the same boat where he's just barely playing in Belgium. And to me, I'm not really sure if we're calling players based on form, why he's here when a player like John Brooks is not. So I would have much rather seen Brooks there and maybe even give someone like Cameron Carter Vickers, who's been on fire lately at Celtic, a shout in Reggie Cannon's spot. Uh, for me, going into the midfield, I would also echo Ryan's point that Sebastian Legette just, he's not up to snuff. We've seen it in other camps. We've talked about it on a podcast before that his form has just been pretty terrible since the start of the nation's league. And I really don't know why we haven't Jackson Yuled him yet. Haven't sent him out to pasture to play with his MLS team and maybe even regain some form there before he even, you know, can think about getting another minute with the U S I, I don't really know why he's on this roster. And then for me, the biggest worry is we don't have a striker. Beyond Ricardo Pepe, we have five wingers, and I just I don't know what to do with that. I, I'm not sure how we do anything subbing out Pepe at the end of a game or playing Jamaica game without Pepe if he were to get hurt. It, it just feels to me like we're in trouble up top if Ricardo Pepe doesn't play 180 minutes, and I'm really not comfortable with that. You mentioned that Berhalter sees Ferreira as a backup nine. He has played the nine before for the U.S. and scored there, but against pretty weak CONCACAF opponents, and I really don't know if he's got the stuff to get it done against Mexico. I see him more as a winger or a 10. Uh, I see him really a similar player to Aronson, actually, and I, I don't really think that he can play that, you know, number nine backboard role that Burhalder wants his striker to play. And we've seen before the false nine be a disaster of an experiment for us, so... Yeah. To me, I see Tim Weah as our backup nine. Uh, but, you know, if we're going to go the false nine, it shouldn't be Ferreira, it should be Pulisic. And I'm really not comfortable with that either because that's not really Pulisic's best position. So, 
Yeah, to me, there's just so much uncomfortable about our striker situation. I would have loved to see Daryl DK get a shot or, you know, PFOC or Sargent get a shot. Heck, even someone like Nicholas Giacchini, who's been playing well in France, would be a really interesting name to put on the roster. To me, there's just not enough talent up top for us to really be banging in a bunch of goals that we really need in this window. Yeah, I completely agree. And before we get to the utilization of Pulisic, I just want to make a point about the bar that's set for players. When You talked about Mark McKenzie and Reggie Cannon. If the bar is set that you can get on this team while not playing for your club team or not having the best form for your club team, then why isn't someone like Josh Sargent or Jordan Peefock on this roster if the same logic applies? And then for John Brooks, if you're going to say that the national team form is actually more important. And why is someone like Sebastian Legette still on this roster? Because if you take that logic, then Legette shouldn't be a part of this team. So that for me is just the biggest strike is if I'm a player or even as a fan, the logic is so inconsistent on what I need to do to make this roster or what makes a player valuable to this US team that it really makes it difficult to kind of keep that consistency across the board. Now, the one player that you guys haven't mentioned we talked about Luca De La Torre for Sebastian Legette. I am completely now on the Jordi Mihaljevic train instead of Christian yeah. Roldan. Um, I, I'm fine with Roldan being here as kind of a utilization or the 25th guy on the roster. But for me, how can you not even consider or reach out and talk to a 22-year-old in MLS that has 16 assists and four goals for a poor team? It, it really doesn't make sense to me. Um, so... With that, I do want to talk. We we all kind of discussed the the lack of a number nine. What should Christian Pulisic's utilization be here? I mean, he's coming back from injury. He played 20 minutes in Chelsea's recent Champions League game. He played about 10 minutes last night against Burnley. Is he ready to start against Mexico, or do you see him more getting 30, 40 minutes in that second half? It's, it's me, a debate for me. It's a big debate for me because there's two ways schools of thinking about it. There's the get out to a good start and try and get a goal early and then bunker, pull Christian off at halftime, save him for Jamaica. The other school of thought is play him in his best role, which is a super sub where he's running at tired legs, can change the game in the last 30 minutes, but then you run the risk of not having the chance for him to impact the game if you give up two goals early. And so for me, it's sort of that balancing act between do we want to score early and make sure it gets an impact or do we want to wait and chance it and hope he can make an impact late? To me, I think our defense is good enough with Miles Robinson and Tyler Adams that we chance it and we use him in the super sub role and make him let him just run at tired Mexico aging defenders and see what he can do. Dude, Tom, you, you literally stole the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that I think our defense is good enough that, you know, for the first 45 minutes, I'm optimistic that they can hold the line for us. And if we can go into halftime with nil-nil or even just down one-nil and bringing Christian in at halftime against Mexico, I think would be huge for us. Uh, so that's how I would go about it. Um, and then for the Jamaica game too, I think, you know, kind of use utilize him in the same role. Uh, I think we're going to dominate a, a lot of possession in the Jamaica game. So that that'll be a game where if Jamaica's defense is tired, having Christian off the bench is just a, a complete game changer. And it's wild to think that we can even have this conversation now. 
Like we, I, I personally have enough faith in Brendan Aronson and Timothy Weah. Granted, I think Greg will probably start Paul Ariola. Um, you know, I, it's cool to be in a position to where we, you know, aren't desperate to be like, we have to play Pulisic. We've got nothing else. We, we've got some other players that can definitely tow the line and get the job done. So for me, it's definitely going to be having him in a super sub role. And because I think it's just, he's going to have a lot, a, a long couple of months, December and January in the Premier League season are brutal. They're going to have a bunch of games back to back. So, you know, I think that it, it's it, in his best interest. So therefore he can be sharp too coming into the next camp to be able to get some minutes at Chelsea and not send him back injured again. Uh, one thing I wanted to go back and ask though, just because it's been on my, been on the top of my head. And I wanted to ask this specifically to you, Tom. Do you think this roster is cute? Because we've talked about it. Cute gets you beat. I and think it is a little bit. There are definitely some parts where I'm... I think the forwards specifically are cute. And I specifically wanted to sort of throw that back to you guys. When was the last time you were comfortable with a forward selection? Like, as a whole. When you're last comfortable with the forward selection that Greg Berhalter made? Probably the first window. If I'm... Remembering it was Sergeant Peafock and was it Zardes? No, it was, uh, there was just Pepe. two of them. I think it was, no, no. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, Pepe. It was Pepe. Yeah, it was yeah, Pepe. Yeah. I, yeah. I felt good about that core. And yeah, to, to the me, those three are, of them, it worked. Yeah. 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 I, I was yeah. going back and thinking about it. I, I forgot that window, but for me, I didn't like the gold cup window. I didn't like, either the this window or the last window, I was almost thinking that Burhalter had not made me comfortable with his like overall forwards list since the Nations League. But yeah, I guess August he might have sort of done okay. But yeah, I, I Burhalter has a problem with forwards and he gets cute a lot. And I just don't think it's that complicated to play your best players. And he never does it. And it's really frustrating. I mean, yeah. if we're talking forwards for the U.S., the last time I was truly comfortable was like 2010 Altador and Davies. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. For sure. Yeah. So maybe in that sense, let's talk about our starting 11. There are a few positions that are definitely up in the air. And I think the first one is the furthest back position in the field, the goalkeepers. Obviously, Sean Johnson's going to be our third goalkeeper, but Zach Steffen and Matt Turner both got starts in the last World Cup qualifying rounds. Who starts this game against Mexico? Maybe, Ryan, let's start with you. So the one thing I think is going to be really interesting is you're going to know from the moment that roster comes out what our game plan is. I think if you see the likes of Turner, Zimmerman, Yedlin out there on the field, you know we're playing long ball. Like, that's what that's what it's going to be. But... On the other hand, I think we can all agree that Anthony or that Miles Robinson is going to be one of the starting right backs or starting center backs. So if you see Chris Richards next to him, you see Zach Steffen in goal, then you know that that our plan of attack is going to be to possess and play out of the back. Uh, for me, in this game, I would be I I would kind of blend the two. I would still want to see Matt Turner as the the starting goalkeeper. Uh, you know, Zach Steffen just did recently extend his contract through 2025 with City. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of that move. I get it. You know, a couple years training in that environment is great, but eventually you got to see minutes. Uh, so for me, you know, Turner has taken a little bit of a dip in MLS since the last window, but 
I still think that uh, he's he kind of gives us our best opportunity right now. I feel the most secure with him in the back as a goalie. But I don't know. What would you guys go with Turner, or do you guys still see? Uh, I mean, would you guys go with Turner? Or do you guys uh, for me, it's, see Stefan as a viable option. For me, it's Turner. I, I don't see us trying to possess the ball against Mexico, and I don't see us even being successful if we try it. So for me, you go with the best shot stopper. The best stop shot stopper is clearly Turner. So I, I see no way we don't start Turner. Jake, are you of the same mindset? I see the logic, and I wouldn't be upset to see Matt Turner, but I I really liked what I saw in the Costa Rica game. I, I think there's just a bit of dyn- dynamism that Stefan gives you playing out of the back. And if we, you're right, uh, Ryan, if we do play the Chris Richards next to Miles Robinson, then there is going to be some possession out of the back. Now, Mexico does like to possess the ball, especially a Tata Martino team does like to play with the ball at their feet. I don't know if we're going to get all the chances. So it's really 50-50 for me. I, I can be happy with both. And I genuinely don't know which one I prefer. If I had to, you know, gun to my head, choose somebody, it's probably Zach Steffen for me. But it, either of the two, I'll be I'll be happy with. Um, so at left back, it's Anthony Robinson. I think for all of us, and Miles Robinson is going to be one of the center backs. The other two defensive positions, however, are pretty much up in the air. I mean, who is going to be that other center back and who is going to start at that right back position? Maybe Tom, let's, let's kick it over to you. You know, personally, I would love to see Richards get a chance. I am a little hesitant about throwing Richards into that environment, but I think he can handle it. I I would love to see him get the start. If we're talking my personal selection, I'm selecting Richards. If I'm talking Greg's selection, he's selecting Zimmerman. So um, I I do think we're going to see Walker Zimmerman play there. I think that was the plan in the Gold Cup final until he went down. I, I I don't see him being a bad selection there. He's athletic. He's strong. He's good in the air. We have dominated the air against Mexico both of the last two times we've played them. And so having two really good aerial center backs would be, I think he's going to be Burhalter's game plan to try and get a win. So I, I do think we see Zimmerman there. I, I'm not sure how much I agree with it, but that's my lot. That's my trying to be Burhalter's logic uh, sort of selection there. How about the right back? The right back? Um, you know, I would love to see Joe Scally. I We've seen that he can do it, um, especially against teams like Bayern Munich. They just dismantled Bayern Munich last time Gladbach played them. I think it's going to be DeAndre Yedlin, but don't be surprised if it's Red- Reggie Cannon. That's sort of my <laughs> unfortunate take on the situation. I don't think we see Scally getting a start in this window just because it's Burhalter, as much as he deserves one and should be starting behind Sergio Dest every single chance he gets. But we're going to see Yedlin, I think. Yedlin has the experience. Yedlin is an experienced Mexico veteran and a great CONCACAFR, and we're going to need that to win this game. So... I'm not a fan of that move, but that's what we're going to see. How about you? Yeah. No, I, I agree with Tom 100%. If, if it's my choice, uh, we're going to go ahead and go with Chris Richards and Joe Scally for sure, because I would like to see us try to possess out of the back. Uh, but one thing that does concern me, you know, Raul Jimenez is back and in very strong form for Mexico. So starting um, Zimmerman there, 
I, I kind of see it. I want to, you know, it's like for like, they're both big, strong individuals. So that is definitely a fight that I, I'm interested to see, to see if Zimmerman can definitely hold up. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jimenez be a little bit more creative than Zimmerman is and to see Zimmerman get beat though. So that's why I think Richards for me, he, you know, he's played against some of the best strikers in the world. He's trained with Lewandowski and Muller, like, and then in Hoffenheim, he's, he's been fantastic. He played, he came in in the 64th minute or something like that this past week as well. Um, and from everything I'm hearing, it's just kind of a little bit of a rotation. It's not that the Honus sees him in bad form or anything. So I think it's perfect. You know, he had a little time to get healthy after the Bayern Munich game, had a little shoulder injury. So good to see him getting healthy. And I would definitely have Richards and Scally starting for mine, but totally agree with Tom. With, with the Burhalter cap on, it's going to be Yedlin and, Z- and Zimmerman. Yeah, I have nothing to say outside of that. I agree with you guys completely. And I mean, in the midfield, it's going to be Adams, Musa, McKinney. Do we, do we all agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Burhalter did, did say in the, in the press conference, though, that, you know, Busio has really put himself in position to be a starter. So this could, I, I don't want to yeah. see Greg overthink it, but let's face it, it wouldn't be his first time. And I like Busio. <laughs> I just think the MMA midfield's better. Yeah, I agree. The thing I'm most excited about with the MMA midfield, though, is that if we're playing Walker Zimmerman, which we sort of agree we are, and we're playing Miles Robinson, and we're playing Weston McKenney, our set pieces are going to be the most dangerous they've ever been against Mexico. <laughs> and we saw McKenney score twice in the Nations League final. We saw Robinson put that amazing goal in to beat them in the Gold Cup final. I don't know how Mexico handles the addition of Walker Zimmerman to two extremely potent aerial threats in McKenney and Robinson. It's going to yeah, be point. really fun to watch the set, feet, set pieces, especially with Pulisic back delivering them. I mean, in the summer when we played Mexico, all four of our goals were on set pieces. Three of them were dead balls. The other was a penalty. So, I mean, yeah, you throw Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, and Weston McKinney into the box. That's You're going for corners and, and free kicks all game to, to get those goals. Um, okay, so at forward, Ricardo Pepe is essentially the number nine. Now, who, who are you guys starting on either wing, and who do you think Greg starts? Ryan, let's kick it to you. As we kind of said with this roster, the 11 kind of writes itself, in my opinion, on what myself and I think the majority of fans would like to see. But we all know that Greg doesn't always necessarily do what we want to see. So and for me, it would definitely be Aronson, Pepe, and uh, Wea to start the game off. But in my opinion, I think it'll end up being Aronson, Pepe, and Ariola because that's that that infamous hug you saw after the last window of Greg and Paul is just scorned into my mind. So you just, you, you know, you can see the twinkle in Greg's eye. What do you so think, I think Greg uh, whispered see. in his ear? Oh, sweet nothings for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, how about you? I, I agree with Ryan. Pepe's locked in. I've got Aronson there. I would love to see Wea, but I think it's going to be Areola. I think Burhalter values the Areola pressing work rate ability. And you're going to see him come in and play minutes for at least the first 65 minutes of the game. I would love to see Wea there, though. I think that he's a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more able to affect the game uh, on the offensive side of the ball, whereas Ariel is a much more defensive selection for me. 
I would much rather see Areola coming in in the 70th minute with Pulisic and just seeing what we could do with a high pressing and an attacking full uh, wingers pair. I see that. I see Aronson way as complimentary. Areola Pulisic is comp- complimentary, but I don't think Burhalter agrees with me. <laughs> Ryan, you wanted to say something. I, I, I was just going to kind of pose the question is if we do go with Aronson way and Pepe, then my question is, and I guess you kind of just read the game, but do you guys have a set idea on who you would see Pulisic? Like, would oh, you Pulisic comes in for Aronson and Pul- Pulisic yeah, yeah, comes in for Wea. Yeah, it's, for me, okay. it's, uh, Pulisic and Wea are sort of the players I'm trading off there. Um, Aronson can play either wing, and we know that Burhalter sees Areola and Aronson having very similar skill sets, even though. One is clearly a better player than the other, although Burhalter does not Even seem to agree with that the assessment. same player. <laughs> yes, yes. But to me, you sub in Wea, you let Pulisic find the game, and you let Areola switch wings and do his pressing thing, and Aronson doing the same thing, whoever is on the field at that time. Yeah, for me, uh, Brendan Aronson has such a high work rate and such a good engine that he can essentially do what he's doing in the first minute in the 90th minute as well. Whereas also, when I look at Timothy Weah, he's a very explosive player. So he might be more effective in the 15th minute than he is in the 60th. So for me, it's Timothy Weah to take off for Christian Pulisic and then add those really fresh legs and run out the tired defense. Do you hear that as it comes out of your mouth? Like how how great of a problem that is to have? Like, oh, we're just going to have... Pulisic sub in for Timothy Weah. Like, God, <laughs> Even when you're talking about the Busio problem, it's like, I, that those are good problems to have. Those are good sure. problems when you're, you're thinking about dissecting a, an MMA midfield that's extremely balanced for adding another midfielder that's starting and winning in Syria, uh, who's 19 or 20 years old. Like Those are good problems. When, when we start to talk oh, yeah. about Oh man, someone's on a yellow. Legette needs to play the eight. Those yeah, are really bad. Gross. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, yeah. Yeah. Yuck. No. Yeah. I so I we've talked about this a lot, but part of me would really love to see Burhalter just out of nowhere throw Aronson Pulisic Wea across the front in one of these games. Just just to see what happens. I mean that that'd be great. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> It would right. be entertaining. Yeah. Um, let's move to tweets of the week. And then I want to predict what's going to happen this window against Mexico and Jamaica. So we're going to start with a really great U.S. men's national team account at KickSwish, which is Justin Moran. He said, starting Pulisic versus Mexico would be a risk, but maybe it's worth it. Here's some things to consider. Pulisic is injury prone. He's been out for two months. He's only... Uh, had 23 minutes since, although that changed yesterday against Burnley. Mexico will not hesitate to attack him. We have good wingers in Aronson and Wea, and we also have flexibility to sub him in based on the game state. I feel like Justin listened to our podcast in the future <laughs> and kind of just summed everything up, but is there really anything else that Justin kind of just made us consider that changes your mind on how to utilize Pulisic? Uh, I just think the the point that he does make about Mexico not hesitating to attack him. Um, I think we, we've seen that as a game plan for CONCACAF opponents before. Is It's almost like the old school hack-a-shack, but it's just hack-a-Christian. 
any anytime he gets a hold of the ball, people are just trying to blow him up. And that's why it's going to it's going to be tough for him throughout the whole qualifying window as people do focus on him and it, they're not afraid just to, you know, foul him every instead of getting beat, just foul him. Uh, so I think that's actually a really good point that Justin makes there. And I think that's another reason why we should you know try to limit some of his minutes, but still have him be as impactful as possible. Yeah, I agree. This is also what it brings up for me is not just, you know, maybe limit his minutes, make sure that we are picking and choosing where he can be effective. It also brings up just how important Weston McKenney is to this window. Weston McKenney is our bulldog who when Pulisic gets fouled, he's not going to hesitate to go in there and start the shoving matches and start sort of being aggressive and fighting for Pulisic and defending him. So getting choked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, inevitably. There's yes. no bar. Yeah. Death taxes and Weston Weston getting choked out by Mexico. With no red cards shown. With no red cards, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this last uh one that we'll go for the tweets of the week is um going to be talking about Venezia and our boy Gianluca Busio, as well as Tanner Tessman. Um, who wants to take this one? I mean, I can go ahead and take it. Um, tweet from, I think actually today, uh, where we have uh, at eStyles underscore NY to MN, Eric talking about Venezia's win today. He says, huge win for Venezia. Busio goes the full 90. Tessman brought on late to see it out. Fact, only one team played their Americans, and that team won with a winking face emoji. Great game this weekend from Venezia. They did win their match today. I, I didn't catch the score, but Busio played really well and glad to see Tessman get some minutes as well. What do you guys think? Yeah, score yeah, it was... was, three, it was go, go for, for it. it, Jake. Yeah, no, no, you take it, Jake. <laughs> yeah, score was 3-2. They were down. Uh, they were up one nothing, down 2-1, and then won the game 3-2. Uh, Busio didn't get on the score line, but he had a really good game and I think was the highest-rated central midfielder on the team. Uh, the the thing that Eric is alluding to about only one team playing their American uh, Roma also has an American Brian Reynolds from the FC Dallas Academy. He did not get on the field, and Tanner Tessman, who is the other American on Venezia, also got about ten minutes to close out the game at the six as well. So just all around, really great to see the Americans kind of take over this Venezia team. I think they're three points above the drop zone in Serie A, which is good enough for like 14th or 15th place at the moment. Uh, Ryan, anything else that you've heard about this Venezia team? No, I'm just, I'm happy to see Tessman slowly growing and getting, getting a role there. You can definitely see the growth in Busio from game one to what is it like week 13 for them? I think right now uh, it's really impressive just to see that how different of a player Busio is from then to now. And I'm really optimistic to see that kind of growth in Tanner Tessman. He, it doesn't really get talked about enough, and we constantly do talk about who is our backup six, but you rarely hear the name put out there. So, you know, to see him challenge himself, and I think it's it's the right opportunity and the right place for him. He'll, you know, Venezia is not going to be a top of the table team, so they will do a lot of defending. So, if we can see Tessman gradually take a few steps forward over this next over the season, I think he could play his way into that backup six role, and it, it'll be exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean, World Cup is still a year, year and a month away, so there's time there. And I have loved you. You mentioned, you know, from game one to thirteen for Busio, 
he has really turned himself into a complete two-way player instead of just attacking or just defending. Um, his work rate since the, I think it was the Gold Cup, when we were all kind of complaining about him tracking back and not going into tackles, that has completely changed since his move to Serie A. So really happy to see that. And hopefully, like you said, we can see the same changes in Tanner Tessman. All right, guys, we talked about the roster. We talked about some players that have come into camp in good form. We've talked about our confidence or lack thereof with Greg and choosing this roster in the starting 11. Let's predict this window. Guys, tell me, how many points are we getting from these two games at home against Mexico and away against Jamaica? Tom, what do you think is going to happen? Give me four points. Uh, I think we get a draw 1-1 against Mexico. It's going to be a very ugly slugfest of a game that sort of ends disappointingly at a 1-1 draw. Uh, but I really do like our chances down in Kingston to pick up three points. I really like this raw. The the I really like the eleven that we can throw out there, assuming nothing bad happens against Mexico. And so I, I want to see us pick up four points this window. I think it's a one nil win against Jamaica. Nice. How about you, Ryan? I'll try to keep it more optimistic. It, in my head, it one point out of this window wouldn't shock me. I don't want to you know, completely rain all over the parade, but would anybody here really be that surprised if we walk out of this with one point? We've had a bunch of confidence coming into the last two windows and it hasn't worked out the way we've seen it happening. So for me, on the optimistic side, I'm saying we walk out of this window with three points. Uh, I think a lot of the Mexican players are in really good form right now. Um, They are going to be, they're going to have a grudge from this past summer. They're going to have something to come out and prove. I'm sure they're pretty tired of hearing about it. They, they weren't able to go and get any sort of hardware over this past summer. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a really pissed off Mexico team. And, you know, hopefully Cincinnati gives us something of a home field advantage. It rarely is when it's a USA versus Mexico game, but optimistic to see that game go down there. Uh, but yeah, for me, if I had to guess, optimistically three points, pessimistically one. Yeah, I, I can completely agree we we don't have to choose optimism just for the sake of it and i think four points is realistic i think one point is realistic i'm gonna go in the middle i say two to three points is what i'm expecting either two draws or a win in jamaica is kind of where i'm at but we i think we mentioned it earlier in the podcast jamaica is kind of coming into form they're gathering players at every single window that are getting healthy or joining the team And I just feel like we're playing them at one of the worst times that we could possibly play them away. Although our team should absolutely be the better when you spread, you know, 11 versus 11. Even if we start the Areolas and the Zimmermans of the world, not that they're in the same bucket, but I do think our 11 should completely outshine this Jamaican 11. It's just, we go out with a loss against Mexico. We're not in great form. You know, our last three games then are the loss against Panama, the win against Costa Rica, and the loss against Mexico. That doesn't bode that great for coming against a Jamaican team. That's just finding their form again. So, yeah, two to three points for me is what I'm expecting. I would not be surprised with one to four points as a realistic target for this window. All right, guys, we're not going to do a games that we're watching this week because there's only one that truly matters coming up for the U.S., but... The MLS playoffs are about to start, I think, in about 30 minutes, or it's going to be decision day 
for the U.S. here. East Conference games are going to start in about 30 minutes. I'm wearing my Leipzig jersey, but I'm rooting for the New York Red Bulls and the two Red Bull F1 cars as well, the race later tonight. Um, Guys, give me your last word. It could be playoffs related. It could be U.S. related. It could be anything in your life happening related. Ryan, what's your last word? Well, it's just going to be a long week. You know, it's, it's always hard when you have, I mean, for me, it'll be Saturday morning by the time the Mexico game kicks off. So just find, trying to find ways to, to get through the week. We do have a holiday on Thursday. So maybe just take Friday off as well and see if I can just, you know, fast forward all the way to Saturday night. Nice. Tom, how about you? I'm excited for MLS playoffs. Excited that Atlanta is almost virtually guaranteed to make it. So going to see how well they do. They seem to be rounding into form in the right time. See if they can't make a run. I will take the last word, though, to complain directly to my astrophysics professor. Uh, who has managed to schedule a test during every single World Cup qualifying window, which is really <laughs> frustrating. We had a test the week, uh, the day after uh, the game at Honduras. We had a test, uh, I guess it was two days after uh, the last, I guess the game against Costa Rica. And then we're going to have a test the day before the Mexico game. And so <laughs> we're a little frustrated about that. Then I have to spend my week studying for that test. Um, but it is what it is. This better not be the same professor that listens to this podcast or else it is not. I've checked. (laughs) I've made sure, but yes, it is frustrating that we have four tests this semester in the first three lineup with the first three qualifying windows. So (laughs) it's me this week studying plasma astrophysics all week instead of preparing for the game. (laughs) Sounds good. Good, good use of time. Get, get that education. Good job, Tom. Um, I'm going to use the last word to thank everyone for watching or listening. Make sure to like the video if you're watching on YouTube or leave a positive review and follow us on wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you are listening to the audio, make sure to stay tuned for our interview with Owen Diana, previewing the Mexico game from a Mexican perspective. Welcome to Denver, where the expectations of these fans are sky high in the Mile High City. Their teams, the United States and Mexico, are getting set to renew one of the oldest and biggest rivalries in sports. And this time, it is for a brand new trophy, the CONCACAF Nations League Championship. The U.S. men's national team won two tightly contested finals over the summer against our most hated rivals, Mexico. World Cup qualifying is now in full swing and the two teams will face each other for the first time since the Gold Cup. So in order to break down the Mexico roster, their strengths and weaknesses so far in qualifying, and the expected tactics for Tata Martino's team, I brought in Owen Diana, who is an expert in all things Mexican national team and Liga MX. So I'm an American based in the United States with a, a long standing passion for Mexican soccer league MX initially. And, and now the Mexican national team, I write for foot next nation also do some multimedia content for them as well. I'm on Twitter at four kicks blog, which you can see in the description, I believe, or, or right here on, on the screen. Um, and I've been, been doing that now for a few years covering Mexican soccer. Mostly I'm a, I'm a freelance journalist. So I also have covered other things, Serie A as well. Um, but mostly focused on Mexican soccer. While our best starting 11 on this roster can probably get the job done, nobody really knows what Greg will do at the center back or winger positions. So what is the makeup of this Mexico roster between European and domestic talent, and are there any positional decisions like that for Tata Martino? 
carrying over from October still. You've got the the bulk of what will be or the entirety of what will be the starting 11 um, and kind of the core of, of a team that you'd be seeing likely in Qatar imagining that Mexico qualify, which they're on track to do. So of the 27 players called into this squad, 19 play in League MX. So they're going to have to be at least a few League MX players who are who are starting. I think in in key positions, for example, Guillermo Ochoa is definitely going to be the starter in goal. All three of the goalkeepers are from League MX. I'm at center back. I think you'll definitely see Cesar Montes at right center back. I think left center back, we can, we can touch on a little bit more as well in depth. But I think there's a battle there between Hector Moreno and Johan Vasquez, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was Hector Moreno who's at Monterey. He has a lot of experience in Europe, but but moved to Monterey for this season. Um, given his experience, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts against the United States. So that's another player in Liga MX. In fact, your whole if Moreno starts, you'd have your whole back five composed of Liga MX players. Um, and then in further forward, I think in those in those more attacking positions in the midfield. You could see one of Charlie Rodriguez or Sebastian Cordova in that most advanced midfield position, both who play in League MX. But then the remaining five, I think, will all be based in Europe. You've got Edson Alvarez sitting at the base of that midfield at Ajax. Hector Herrera, I would expect to start as well as at Atletico Madrid. And then that attacking trident of Tecatito Corona, Chucky Lozano, and Raul Jimenez, all players who are based in Europe as well. So if I had to guess what will be the starting lineup, I think probably six players who are based in league MX. Now you could have Johan Vasquez who, who recently moved to Genoa starting at left center back. That would, that would shift the balance in favor of, of the Europeans, but I think it would, st- it's still going to be close to a 50, 50 split. The table is tight. Mexico is on 14 points and the U S is on 11 with two U S wins over the summer in finals. What should we expect from the tactics and environment from this game? I would expect something a little bit more like the Nations League final, first of all, because I think a large portion of the players who started for Mexico in that match will be starting in Cincinnati. I think it could be up to eight players who will who have started both matches. I think tactically, formation-wise, certainly you're going to see a 4-3-3. Tata Martino has used that formation almost exclusively during his time in charge. He did experiment briefly with the back three in the summer and in the Nations League a little bit, in the pre-Nations League friendlies, and then post-Nations League. Um, in a friendly against Honduras, but I, I'm sh- I'm expecting him to go with the four three three. You do have that ability to drop Edson Alvarez in between the center backs, certainly when you're playing the ball out, um, and and then have it look like a back three or a back five um, when Mexico are building out. But I would expect a four three three formation, um, having the wingers very wide, trying to attack through through that sector, trying to keep as much of the ball as possible. I'm expecting Charlie Rodriguez to start in midfield. One of the the question marks for Mexico, in addition to that left center back spot, although I'm I'm expecting Hector Moreno to start, is that third player in the midfield. Edson Alvarez is clearly the starter at the sixth position. Hector Herrera, I think, at the eight as well is is a surefire starter. But then that third midfield spot, it's it's difficult to call it a number ten because Mexico don't outside of Sebastián Cordova, Mexico don't really have a player with the characteristics of a number ten in that position. And Sebastián Cordova isn't a surefire starter. Um, so in the three away games that Mexico have had so far, um, Charlie Rodriguez has started all three. And he also did start in the Nations League final against the United States. So I would expect him to start again, given it's a, it's a difficult away match. He's he's a player who who has some characteristics of a number 10, but is operates more as a number eight. He's a player who can, who can shuttle well, who keeps the ball a little bit better than a Sebastian Cordova. So I would expect to see him there. I think alternatively, if you're trying to go a little bit more defensive, you could potentially see Luis Roma play as well. Try to try to have a double pivot alongside Edson Alvarez and play Hector Herrera a little bit more advanced. But that would be a 
that would be a slight change. I would I would expect to see Charlie Rodriguez alongside Edson and, and Hector Herrera in in that midfield three. The front three of this Mexican team is very scary. Tecatito and Lozano on the wings and the Wolves man Raul Jimenez spearheading the attack. What's their form like at the moment? And then up front, I think it's going to be Tecatito Corona on the right. Although he's a player who hasn't been playing that well for Porto this season and really hasn't been getting that many minutes. He has 75 minutes in his last last six matches, didn't make it off the bench in their Champions League draw with AC Milan um, in midweek. But a player who who traditionally has played well against the United States, not as much in the Gold Cup final, but he did score the opener in the Nations League final and in, in 2019. Some listeners might remember he he tormented Serginho Dest, um, provided a really beautiful assist for Chicharito Hernandez in that in that friendly romp for for Mexico. So a player who likes playing against the United States usually rises to the occasion big, in big matches. And then I would expect to see Chucky Lozano off the left and Raul Jimenez starting at center forward. Chucky's a player who who does his fair share of defensive work. He has no problem tracking back. I don't think that's the issue. Um, but you'd like to see him in promising attacking positions as much as possible. We saw in the last window how well the McKenney, Musa, and Adams midfield could balance the game for the United States. Is Mexico worried about this midfield of the U.S.? You're looking a little bit more collectively or in certain areas, like you mentioned with the midfield, what can what can a group of two or three players potentially do to hurt Mexico? I think you'd look in midfield and you'd also look on the American right side, the, the Mexican left. So in midfield, I think you saw with the United States in the last window, that budding partnership there between Adams, McKenney, and, and Moose, I think that looked really good, very dynamic, very technical. I think Mexico are going to have to be careful of that. So against against Canada for Mexico, so that was the first match that they had in October, they were they lost that midfield battle at the Azteca. Canada almost, uh, Mexico shaded possession in that match. They usually dominate the ball or try to dominate the ball, at least in CONCACAF, especially at home. Um Canada almost won the possession battle there. I think it, it um, ended up 52% for Mexico. Um, they had Andres Guardado and Hector Herrera there in midfield alongside Edson Alvarez, two veterans along with the, the younger Ajax player. And it was a little one-paced for Mexico, um, a little bit slow in that sector defensively. They they, they struggled to, to handle Canada's midfield. So I would expect to see a more dynamic player like a Charlie Rodriguez, like a Sebastian Cordova, as I was mentioning, potentially even a Luis Romo, alongside Hector Herrera, who would be the the oldest or the more the most veteran of of that midfield trio, just to make sure you're you're able you have the legs to cover um, the dynamism that that the United States can provide in that sector. And- With the center of the park as a strength for the U.S. Let's dive into where those weaknesses are for Mexico. Mexico's struggle to defend both the right flank and the left flank, but especially on the left, I think Jesus Gallardo, the Monterey man, is the real weak link defensively. Um, a player who who started as a winger at Puma. So he's he's not a natural left back per se. He has played there a lot now over the last few years, started there at the 2018 World Cup for Mexico. It was Juan Carlos Osorio, the former Mexico coach, who actually was the first one to, to try him out there at, at left back. But that's a weak position for Mexico, and I think given how the United, how strong the United States looked attacking that position, also trying to create overloads, I think it's going to be it's going to be a, a problem area for Mexico. It'll be interesting to see what Tata does there defensively. It's it's the big that's the big question. I think certainly in, ter- in terms of weaknesses, where Mexico could be found out. I think as I've mentioned a couple of times now, defending down the flanks, 
Um, but also defensive transitions is something that Mexico have struggled with under Martino as well. Um, teams that can get out and break quickly on the counter, that's that's something Mexico have struggled with. And I think defensively, a big thing to watch out for against the United States specifically, but also in the following match against Canada's set pieces. All four of the goals that Mexico conceded to the United States in the summer, so the Nations League final and the Gold Cup final, were at set pieces. Three of them at at dead ball situations. One was a penalty kick. And so I think that's something that Mexico really have to watch out for, especially Weston McKinney was was a real terror in the Nations League final. He got his head to both of the corners yeah. that led to the first two American goals, especially the second the second goal, the 2-2, was a really bad concession for Mexico for how they conceded the corner kick and then Gallardo at the back post not even jumping with McKinney. So I think they're going to have to be very careful with how they market set pieces. With the U.S. being such a young team, I was wondering how experience will impact the Mexican national team for this game. In terms of strengths, I think there are some intangibles for Mexico. I think the experience that they have, you've got six players in this 27-man squad who have been to multiple World Cups. In Guardado and Ochoa, you've got two players who have been to four World Cups who are going for their fifth World Cup. Yep. So players who have been there and done that. You've got six players... Um, who participated in the 2016 match in Columbus where Mexico managed to get their first win away at the United States. Five of the players were starters. So, so players who, who even more recently have the experience of going to a difficult place in Ohio, <laughs> this time it's not yeah. Columbus, it's Cincinnati, <laughs> but going, going to a difficult away match in Ohio against the United States in a World Cup qualifier and getting a win. So I think that's, that's really important for Mexico to have that. And then you also, I think, I think tactically you have a, you have a coach who, Although Greg Berhalter did get the better of Martino, you could argue, in both of the matches in the summer, Martino is a coach with experience of taking teams to World Cups, taking a Paraguay to the World Cup quarterfinals, in fact. I think he's been a real plus point for Mexico so far in these qualifiers. There have been a few matches where the changes he's made from the bench um, in terms of substitutions have, have made a huge difference for Mexico and helped them then get points. Yeah. So having having a coach with that experience, I think, could make a big difference here in, in this match in Cincinnati as well. With an inform Raul Jimenez and a dynamic trio up front for Mexico, what can the U.S. do to keep them quiet? I think it will be difficult. I think it's going to require a lot of mobility on the part of the American defense and and coordination between the midfield and the defense as well because Jimenez is a player who who likes dropping deep, who likes moving out wide, and he, he's very adept at that, very adept at picking up possession with his back to goal, turning and, and trying to create. He's... He's Mexico's top goal scorer under Martino, but he's also one of their top assist makers. So he, he's a player who can who can create just as well as he can score. He's not just a finisher. He's not just a um, a, a number nine who who's just there to be in the box and try to finish things off. He's really Mexico's best number ten as well. Um, so having that kind of versatility in just one player, I think, is really important for Mexico. They they really suffered an attack without him. Although Funes Mori did try to do his best, he meant as impression. Um, in the summer, but but having there's there's no replacement, um, no direct replacement for for Jimenez, um, yeah. in the in the current structure that Mexico have. There's there's no player who can come in and, and do what he does at the same level. Um, I think it's going to be difficult for the United States to to stop him. Um, certainly, he's a player, if nothing else, that will will probably attract more than just one marker, and I think that that ends up benefiting the other players who are on the field, the other attackers from Mexico. Certainly, a Chucky Lozano and a and a Tecatito Corona, you can't you can't double mark all of those players. So so somebody will will probably be freed up a little bit if you choose to to mark Jimenez, for example, a little bit more closely. So with all of that considered, what is the Mexico perspective on how this game will play out? I think I think I see Mexico winning this match. I think when you look 
when Mexico had basically their strongest squad. They, I think the Nations League final is much more instructive as it relates to how this match could go. Um, yeah. And and Mexico, I think they they were leading that match two one late on, and they concede with a you know, a terrible concession and a set piece, a goal that the corner should have never even been conceded, and then the way you then concede the goal from the corner is also is also schoolboy as well. So, and that, that ends up tying the game. The game goes to extra time. I think Mexico could have, could have easily won that match. Um, and I think I'd, I'd expect in this match, I think I'm, I've been, I've learned it today, but, or during, <laughs> during our talk, but Serginho Dest, I think is a big, a big miss for the United States. I think that's, that's a sector where I think the United States could have had a lot of joy um, having a trident there of, of, Dest, Musa, and, and Wea, or whoever you choose to start on the right wing, um, trying to attack Jesus Gerardo, potentially pinning um, Herbing or Chucky Lozano, who I think is is Mexico's most dangerous attacker, um, back a little bit and forcing him to defend. I think if you have a Yedlin there or a Scali who's inexperienced, um, it's not the same. And I think I think that's going to be a big advantage now for Mexico. I think they can win the battle on that flank, which would be really big. And then I think Tata's learned his lesson from the Canada match in terms of not playing Guardado and Hector Herrera together in midfield. So I think Mexico will at least be able to to control the trident that that Burhalter is likely to field in that in that zone with uh, McKenny Adams and and Musa. Jesus Guerrero at left back, I think I think is a weak spot. Um, also, just not having an established center back partnership necessarily. Montez and and Moreno, who I expect to start, have been playing um, together this season at Monterrey, but. Um, not a partnership that has a whole lot of experience at, at senior national team level. I think just in general, Mexico are a team that, that don't create all that much going forward. And they've, they've struggled at different times over this qualifying um, cycle over this octagonal with, with finishing the few chances that they're actually given. So I think it's not a team that you can expect, certainly then going to Cincinnati, going and playing the United States, their greatest rival. You you wouldn't be expecting Mexico to run away with this. It will be a close match for sure. And I think if Mexico win or get a result, it's going to be it's going to be a close run thing. So I think that's that's an advantage for the United States concerning they're playing at home. You have the crowd in your favor. You have the conditions potentially with the cold in your favor. So allowing that allowing that to work for you and, and tip the balance a little bit, tip the scale, I think, I think could be important. Well, guys, thanks so much for watching. The next episode will be after the Mexico game and I think right before the Jamaica game. So make sure to catch us on the next one and we will see you next week. I hope the week flies by for everyone. Hope you have a great week.